friend of mine who was coaching me at the time, he turned around and this was the big epiphany. He just went, Brett, you talk about this subject, but you don't ever mention what it is. We know something's happened to you, but you won't discuss it. And then he just went, it's time. If you're not happy, you need to take action. If you want change in life, you need to do something about it. Welcome back to the People of Perth podcast, a series all about the people who live in the most isolated city on the planet. It's probably not much of a stretch to say that 2020 has taken its toll on many of us, whether it's been changes to our work, our home life or the things we love to do. Many of us have been anxious, on edge or feeling not quite our usual selves. The conversation around caring for our mental health has become much more prominent over the last few years and its importance has never been clearer than during the pandemic. This time on The People of Perth, it's all about our struggles and the tools we use to make ourselves happy. But before we get started, if you are struggling, we have a list of support services in this episode's description that are there if you need a helping hand. Don't forget, you're not alone. We'll talk more about these support services at the end of this very special episode. I'm Carmen Braidwood, and these are the people of Perth. It's okay to talk about things. It's all right to have fear and guilt and shame and not be perfect and embarrassment. Whatever it is, whatever you've got carrying around and you haven't dealt with, it's okay to deal with it. You've heard from Brett Della in previous People of Perth episodes talking about his life as a police officer and later a chiropractor. But something wasn't right for a large part of Brett's life. He found he just didn't enjoy things like he should and he felt flat when he really ought to feel happy. And so you're aware, some of what Brett's about to discuss might be confronting for some people. It was probably a string of things along the way. I suffered from depression for 30 years. And how long of that 30 years did you call it depression? Did you know what it was? I knew what it was. I just refused to acknowledge it. Why? It's the stigma. It was the stigma for for me. Um, uh, Being a police officer, you know, it's a very masculine environment. And in today's society, we're saying we have to be tough and strong. In the police force, in the police service, it's it's worse because you 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 are the force to be reckoned with. If something goes wrong, you need to be there in force, and you have to have that hard exterior that's needed. And I, I think a lot of the stuff happened around about the same time I joined the police force, and I went off and I tried to pretend everything was okay for many years. In the end, I went and saw a, a police counsellor. Uh, then I went and saw a psychologist a few years later. And they all helped me get through different stages. But I got to the point where I was, I decided to go do some more training. I went and did a life coach course. And a friend of mine who was coaching me at the time, he turned around and this was the big epiphany. He just went, Brett, you talk about this subject, but you don't ever mention what it is. We know something's happened to you, but you won't discuss it. Do you live with depression? I went, yes. Are you sick of that? Yes. Are you sick of living in fear all the time about talking about it? Yes. Do you think you should do something about it? Yes. And then he just went, it's time. And I thought he hit me with a road train. He just, oh, I just, people talk about every cell in their body vibrating. That's what it felt like for me. I was just like, you know what? I, and I, all of a sudden I just went, I am sick and tired of living like this. Because I, I just suffered four months of serious depression. And like I just struggled to get out of what usually I can sort of work my way through. And I went, you know what? I'm done. And in that moment, the, my decision changed. And, it, and all I had to do was make that decision. I just was, wasn't brave enough to do it before then. Mm-hmm. I wasn't called out enough before then. And it was at that moment I went, you know what? 
that's it. My life's going to change. So in spite of what I'm hearing that you're having this really fantastic life, you know, a great job living in beautiful parts of West, Western Australia, I agree, you know, Kalgoorlie and Carnarvon, great places. How far into your journey with depression was it before you were able to come clean and say, I have depression and share that with other people? Uh, I did it when I was about 28 uh, and I shared my full story with them at the time, but then I, I shut it down again. You know, I didn't even admit it to, well, I didn't, I knew, I knew about it, but I just wouldn't, I would say, oh, it's back to my wife. It's like, I, I'm just, I'm struggling. I'd say words that worked around it, but she knew what I meant. I'm struggling today. I'm struggling this week. And, and she knew that I was suffering from depression. I just, it sort of, I would stick my head a little bit and then come back again. And that was just through fear of having to face what I had to face, you know, and having to deal with it. So it was, it was one of those things that was 28, 35, and then when I was, 50 basically is when it, it really, it's like, that's it, I'm done. Mm. And what changed then? I went and got some different type of help because like I said, I've been to psychologists and counsellors and they really helped me to a certain point, but I didn't ever feel like I'd cleared the problem and I didn't understand myself enough to know what I had to do. And by this stage, uh, this, this mother of mine, Bruce, has turned around and he said, just go and do this workshop. It's just for men. It's next week. It's in Brisbane or Queensland. Uh pack your bags and get over there. And I went, okay, I will. And I made the decision on the spot. It took me a few hours to get it through my own psyche, what I was about to do. And I went to my wife and said, honey, I think I need to go do this course next weekend. This is on a Monday. She goes, when's it start? I said, next Thursday. She goes, well, rearrange your patients and see you later. And I went, okay. Mm -hmm. So she was just like, just go do it. And I went across and I did a, a, a three and a half day workshop. It was designed just for men. And um, what happened there, they had these different processes and it just, it changed my life instantly. Within, within three days, three and a half days, my life changed. You mentioned a couple of times just for men. How important is that, do you think, for, has it been for you and probably for other blokes in that situation to it, work just with men? It is, you just don't realise how important it is until you're actually in, in the work itself. Um, I've always had good mates uh, and close mates, and I'm still close and, and good mates with all those those guys who I describe as some of my besties. If that's what you want to uh, want to call it. But um, when it's actually being there for men and having that connection, when you've been through maybe the darkest time in your life and sharing the darkest time of your life with 50 other men, there's a connection that just goes deeper. And you can have honest conversations about the shit that happens in your life. You can have honest conversations about what's working for you in this moment and what's not and be able to hold space for those men and say, you know what, it's okay, bud. It's okay to have a cry. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to, to not be perfect because we're not. And that for me is one of the biggest things I've got out of this last two and a half years of my journey is I've got these men that they are my brothers and I will go to war with them if I had to. I'm sure your wife would have wanted to help you somewhere along those times when you said it's a bad week and yep. struggling. Oh, she tried. She was my rock and she helped me get through and allow me to be the man I am today. Um, but uh, you have to be able to help yourself. You have to make your own decision to help yourself. And she couldn't do that for me. She helped me to get to the point where I could, but she couldn't make the decision for me. Yeah. And that must be a very difficult thing. I'm sorry I don't have any tissues that's in okay. here for you. Look around. Yeah, it's all right. You're all right. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Vulnerability is a superpower. Brene Brown, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> very popular. Yeah. What is that superpower, do you think, being able to actually have this conversation now compared to, say, two or three years ago? Uh, I would never admit to anyone I had a problem. Uh, I, I used to, I, I call what I 
what I call a my man mask. And it was a mask I showed to the rest of the world that I was okay. And if anyone ever asked me how I was going, if I was having a shit day or a fantastic day, my answer was, I'm okay. I used to I call myself the Mr. Beige of emotion because that's what I portrayed. Um, and you sort of meant to touch on it before about, you know, you had depression for those 30 years when you're living in the country, these beautiful spots. But that's what I was showing to the rest of the world. That's not what was going on inside and what was going on behind the scenes. So Kim got the worst of me at times, which was really unfair on her. And everyone else got the best of me because I pretended I was I was fine and I wasn't. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. What did it do to your marriage? Kim and I have always been very close and very strong and we were very connected. And like all marriages, you have to work on it and we have to stay connected. But when I got back from that workshop for those three and a half days, I was on this euphoric high for about six weeks. <laughs> and I thought I felt closer to her. And she goes, you're not talking to me anymore. And it's like, what? Oh, but I feel closer. She goes, we're not connected. This has to change. And so she's really good at calling me out and she's great at going, okay, this is a problem. Let's work on this. Yeah, great. Um, so, so we're actually, we had to redefine our marriage a few times along this journey over the last couple of years because, or not our marriage, our relationship, because mm. before she was like my carer almost, and I didn't want her to be like that anymore. I just wanted to be my partner and, and work on things together. So it, it redefined the way things are. She's still there for me when I need it. And, uh, and, uh, and if I'm having a bad day, we can I talk about it a lot easier to her now. Mm. But um, she understands me a lot more um, than anyone else. So that makes it much, much easier. The reference you made to Kim having to get the worst of you at times, mm. I'm sure is very, very relatable to lots of people listening to this. What does that look like? What's the worst when a person's facing depression? So for me, I'd rock into work and as soon as I walked through the door, I'd go, hi, how is everyone? Great to see you. Okay. And then I'd, I'd work with my patients all day and I'd be on a high and pumped up. I'd go home and just go, I'm not talking. I don't have any energy for you. I don't have any energy for me. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing for an hour. Um, then we'll have dinner and and then I'll try and... I, I wasn't always like that, but that's what the worst of it was like. I just didn't want to participate, didn't want to be involved. I had no energy. Keeping up this facade about that you're okay and that you're great and everything's fine, it's just exhausting. And it, that's what probably did it for me over the 30 years. I was just exhausted of pretending I was okay. I had nothing left to give. I had nothing left for me, let alone our marriage. So We'll hear more from Brett and how he's using his experience with depression to help others in just a moment. Now, it probably comes as no surprise to hear a workplace can be the source of stress, anxiety and a whole lot of frustration, especially if you're not feeling comfortable in your role. For Sharon Krasinovsky, the office world of architecture coupled with a difficult working environment sapped the joy she found in her work and she wound up leaving the industry completely. So what were the problems and what was it that made her make that final decision to change? It's very masculine and... I would say I'm more of an introvert. I kind of like my space and I've always worked in big offices with a lot of people around me and that really distracted me and gave a lot of anxiety, both probably the masculine energy and the fact that there were so many people all together working right next to each other. It just, um, yeah, it just made me very anxious. Mm. And also the fact that it kind of felt a bit like you're this little cog <laughs> in a wheel. You don't get the big picture. Um, it took me a few years and the only time where I managed to kind of get a big picture of how a project works was when I was working in a smaller practice in Melbourne and it was an interior design practice. Mm. Yeah, so I kind of like having 
my life under control and not having that big picture also didn't <laughs> didn't mm. feel quite right. And taking the responsibility and making change when you realised the profession you'd landed yourself in wasn't for you? Yes. I think this is very hard for a lot of people, um, but it's actually really easy to do once you realise oh, this is not good for me. You need to take action if you want change in life. If you're not happy, you need to do something about it. And if you don't really know what to do, it doesn't really matter. Just do something else. And it's going to bring you an insight on life. And then eventually you're going to get to where you want to get. And that's kind of what happened to me. I've spent a lot of years just thinking, <laughs> just thinking, oh, I should probably change. And then just I just couldn't do it anymore. And I just was like, what can happen? I'm not going to die. Uh, I'm not going to live under a bridge. Uh, I am smart. I'm capable. I can figure it out like uh, and I think most people are like, it's not just me. It's just a bit of, you know, kind of going over that fear and just diving into life because there's so much more out there. It's quite an iconic building, the Perth Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. When you drive by there and you see elements of it, uh, are you proud or does it still fill you with a little bit of dread associated with that experience of working on it? I wouldn't say I've, I have dread. Um, I'm not angry or um, it's, it's just, I just know that it's not right for me right now. Um, I, I just find it's really interesting. I've driven past it so many times and I've also been inside because I was curious to see um, how it looked and like um, I recognized the parts where I was working uh, with yeah with the team and um, it just felt very small compared to <laughs> how um, we see it in the model every day uh, on the computer and that was really interesting like how different um, a building can turn out in real life to what you see on a computer every day um, but I think it turned out really nice um, and I, I'm a little bit like proud I just haven't been a massive part of it because there were so many people working on it like we were hundreds and so it's like yeah I can say I, I, a little bit of me isn't there but there's so many so many people that were involved in it so and I understand you're working on an illustrated book for teenagers all about empowerment and breaking stereotypes yeah, exactly is is your life journey to date behind that decision what what's brought on the decision to make a book well I've been doing art since I was four years old. I went to art school before going to architecture and I kind of stopped uh, a little bit while I was doing, uh, you know, studying and working. Um, and I recently, um, maybe a year or two ago, started drawing again and really, really wanted to do something out of it, like something useful out of it because art can be like, yeah, <laughs> here's a pretty picture, but I just, you know, I just wanted to do something that could give tell a story and send a message um to young people and definitely it's connected to my own story because if I had a book like that uh when I was a teenager or even younger like yeah 12 years old 13 years old it would have helped me I would have probably avoided some negative things <laughs> um taken some decisions a bit you know sooner I would have been braver a bit sooner in life um I was, I wouldn't say I was this brave 
<laughs> when I was 24, I was still quite, you know, in my shell and scared. And yeah, so it's, I just want to create this tool for girls to be a little bit more confident, a bit quicker and know that they are okay the way they are. They don't really have to listen to what people are telling them because everybody has their agendas. And even your parents, even if they have all this love, you know, for you, and this is what my parents, you know, my parents, they loved me and they wanted just the best for me, but they had a vision of what was the right thing for me. And I kind of followed that for a long time and just wasn't working. And it's better to struggle with your own choices, in my opinion, and get to where you need to go rather than following what someone else is telling you. And then find yourself completely lost, unhealthy, uh, with panic attacks, maybe, I don't know, without really knowing why. And it's because, yeah, you're just, you're not following your own truth. And yeah, so this, this book is going to be about following your own truth, being strong and taking action, because that's also something that needs to be done. You need to take action to be able to get to where you want to. Yeah. Sounds like a little recipe for life. Oh, maybe. <laughs> It's my, it's the coach inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's come back to Brett Della. After all the struggles he'd been through, he realised something, that there would be countless other men going through the same thing as him. So he decided to take his experience and help those guys confront the roadblocks that were keeping them from speaking out. What was buried down in me, which I didn't know at the time, was um, I was just full of guilt, shame and embarrassment and fear. Fear of what other people might think and do and you know, say if they found out what had happened. And so I was um, I was really uh, in that place where I know what the pain's like, I know what the fear's like, I know what the guilt and the embarrassment's like, and, and no man should have to suffer like I did. No person should have to suffer, but obviously my, my passion is men, mm. and no man should have to suffer like, like I did. So for me, it was a whole mindset. You know what? I love what I do as a chiropractor and help people, but doing this work, this, what I call the momentum revolution is to actually shift the momentum forward of men and go, you know, it's okay to talk about things. It's all right to have fear and guilt and shame and not be perfect and embarrassment, whatever it is, whatever you've got carrying around and you haven't dealt with, it's okay to deal with it. And there are ways to deal with it that you don't have to go through psychologist if it hasn't worked for you. You don't have to go through the counselor. And I want people to go and see those because those people are fantastic but sometimes you just need a little bit of a kick in the ass in an other direction with a bunch of blokes doing bloke stuff, mm. doing men's shit that you can actually sink your teeth into and get a bit grunty with that can just release things at a whole different level. So it's a turning point that needs to happen and it's got to be on the right terms. That first step, you you have to make it want to happen though. You have to make the decision. If you don't make the decision, it's not good. You can't just rock up for somebody else and and try and change. You have to, and I've said it time and time again, if you're not prepared to actually do the work for yourself, there's no point going. But it's this work is is it's like let's just take the first step. Let's just understand why you might feel like this. Mm-hmm. Understand why you might behave like this. Understand why you've got these these behavioural patterns. Why you've got maybe is it from your trauma? Is it from your childhood? Is it from what you learn from uh, your teachers or your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or your aunties or whatever it is? Somewhere along the way, you've developed these patterns. Are they positive for your life or are they negative for your life? And if they're negative for your life, it's time to Was there it. a trauma in your case? Yes. Um, I, I was abused as a child. Um, I mentioned that our family moved to a, a small country town when I was about six years old in the southwest. 
and a neighbour um, abused me on numerous occasions. And and I was six years old. And the thing about the mind when you're that age, it can actually go, you know what, this is too traumatic for you to deal with. Let's mm. just shut it down the box. So I had a great childhood. And even though I always knew it, knew it happened, mm. I didn't share it with anyone. No one knew about it. And it wasn't until when I was about 19, all of a sudden, okay, you're mature enough now to deal with it and it starts to bubble up and these emotions and this, this you know, trauma that starts to eat away inside you. And you don't, don't know where these feelings and these emotions are coming from. And all of a sudden it just, it just led down this, you know, deep, dark path. And as you probably know from your own personal experiences, we don't just suffer from one issue in our life. Mm. We suffer from many, whether it's being abandoned, losing a loved one, um, getting our heart broken, um, in the police, you know, with with events in the police force, the, all those things they start to pile up on top of each of, yeah. of each other. And if you don't deal with it in a in a really deliberate way, then you're going to just carry it around and and cause this emotional until it's until you explode. And you either you know I call it the volcano effect. You either going to cracks will start to seep, and you'll have the depression or anxiety, or you're going to explode. You got that rage and hate and violence and anger built up that just comes out. So it's got to be, you've got to deal with it before that happens. And I'm sure as a police officer, you you saw other people at that breaking point behaving mm. in all manner of ways. Ah, the alcoholism, the drugs. I talk about numbing, you know, the gambling, the video games nowadays, mm. um, the rage, the violence, the anger, the hate, you know, it, all that. That's all part of the, the, the mix when it comes to working as a police officer. If you were talking one-on-one to a person right now who's in the same situation that you were in 30 years ago, what would you say to them? I would basically just ask them what's going on and then shut up until they wanted to talk. You have to let them talk. So, But if I was talking to my 19-year-old self again, just get over yourself and deal with your shit now. I was just fearful. It was just like step up. You've got the balls. Step up and deal with it. Um, and and just do it now rather than wait for 30 years. Not that I'm, I haven't had a great life, but my life would have been so differently if I had dealt with it earlier mm. rather than later. So the inspiring side of that is that you can deal with it even if it has been left too long. Absolutely, at any stage. And and I some of the workshops I've been on, there's been guys who are 10 years older than me and, and older. Um, I think one of the workshops I went on, there was I think one guy was 72 and was dealing with stuff from his childhood. Um, and so at any age you can deal with it. But if you want to live that life that gives you that bit more not living in the shadows, do it as soon as you can. Now, while our goal here at the People of Perth podcast is for this episode to connect with you, I understand and appreciate that it may have brought a few things up for you. With that in mind, I'd like you to know that you are not alone. If you're feeling flatter than usual, anxious about the future, or even just not your normal self, the most important thing you do is start to talk. If you're listening to us in Australia, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or head to their website, lifeline.org.au. You can also talk with Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or their website beyondblue.org.au. For our friends in New Zealand, Lifeline NZ can be contacted on 0800 543 354 or text the word HELP to 4357. If you're internationally listening to us right now, the Samaritans are there for you in the UK on 116-123. In the US, MHA National can be reached on 
273 8255 and in Canada, contact Crisis Services on 1833 456 4566. You'll find all of these groups' contact details and websites in the episode description, along with a link to help you find the best support in any country we haven't mentioned here. You are not alone, and there is help out there. Next time on the People of Perth podcast, it's all about family, whether it's the family we're born into, those we choose, or a furry friend who joins us on life's journey. Our definition of family is kind of far-reaching. Debbie will share the challenge of understanding exactly what your kids do for a living. Works for a company and puts together machines. You look so puzzled right now, Debbie. (laughs) I am puzzled. Yvonne tells us the importance of celebrating life. The first funeral I ever went to was in Bali and to see that was a celebration of life, it shifted me. We should be celebrating life. And Jiggy wonders if there was a mix-up at the hospital with his kids. I can't eat reds, mate. (laughs) I just can't. I can't even grease my car with that. (laughs) And the worst part is my kids love it. I'm like, are you sure you're mine? This podcast series is made possible thanks to interviews with the members of the Perthling Group on Facebook. If you'd like to be part of future Perthling projects, head to the link in the episode description and join on in. The People of Perth podcast is produced by Bad Bard Productions and presented by me, Carmen Braidwood. I hope you'll join us next time for more stories from the world's most isolated city. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>